Alright guys, we're going to get ready to start. Alright, let's open up in a word of prayer. My Father God, I thank you for this day, Lord. I thank you for the, just the wonderful significance of communion, for the fact that uh, we're partakers of you, Lord, only because you first loved us, Lord. I pray that we never forget those things and that we honor and glorify you the way that we should. Um, I pray that every message that's being taught in this building today would be one of through the Holy Spirit, not one of man. And I pray for the message that you put on Pastor's heart. May it glorify and edify your name always. And in your name we pray. Amen. All right. If you would open up your Bibles to Romans 8. Um, we're probably going to go through the first 17 verses. But realistically, the first 11. All right. So I'm going to read them. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact... The Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of, of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Uh, great, such a great chapter. Um, and, and you know, I felt like this coincided very well with what Gabe was talking about for the last two weeks. You know, he's been teaching from uh, chapter 18 in the 1689 uh, Baptist Confession of Faith. And the chapter was entitled Assurance of Grace and Salvation. And in, in the last point of the paragraph of 1 and all of paragraph 2, it says, They may rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, and this hope will never make them ashamed. The certainty is not merely an inconclusive or likely persuasion based on a fallible hope. It is an infallible assurance of faith founded on the blood and righteousness of Christ, 
revealed in the gospel, it is also built on the inward evidence of those graces of the Spirit about which promises are made. It is further based on the testimony of the Spirit of adoption, witnessing with our spirits that we are the children of God. As a fruit of this assurance, our hearts are kept both humble and holy. And I loved it because more and more as you continue to read and study, and especially those that you know preach and teach, um, I don't know about a lot of the other the men who come up, but you feel the in- inadequacies. There's times when you know I'm very confident going up to people and speaking to them, but I have a certain reverence when it comes to God's word that you don't want to say things that are wrong. You know, obviously you want to hold it in higher stature. Um, so I feel like almost, you know, kind of tongue-tied at the point because of the sense that I realize the weight sometimes of what you're actually saying. So that's why I pray that, you know, as I'm teaching, that it would be the Holy Spirit speaking through me, not me. Because in myself, you know, you'll hear a lot of babbling, a lot of rambling, a lot of things like that. And when it comes to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is right to the point and gets the message across that God wants. And that's why... Um, this lesson I have entitled Justification and Sanctification Through the Holy Spirit. Because obviously we we look at the things and in our lives the Holy Spirit plays a very, very important role. Um, And this week, preparing for this, I was listening to a sermon from Stephen Lawson, who is my favorite expositor, and he made a statement that says, Salvation is not a reward for the righteous, It is a gift to the guilty, right? Now we look at it, righteousness is a gift from God. There's no man apart from God that can achieve righteousness on his own, right? Um, And that's why we realize that it is a gift for the guilty because we have all sinned, right? We have all fall short of the glory of God. There's no man that, you know, through his own works, through his own deeds, that could ever keep the law on his own, right? The law... Was, uh, uh, was there to help us to realize that we needed something greater. And we needed Christ to be able to accomplish what the law, you know, what we could not do in ourselves about keeping the law. So, being that the title is Justification and Sanctification through the Holy Spirit, I must say that there is no salvation if there isn't justification. Right? And I'll make that, you know, and obviously as we go on, It'll be clear that there is no salvation if there isn't justification, right? Now, the definition of justification is the action of declaring or making righteous in the sight of God, right? We know that we fell short. Um, There's none righteous, no, not one. So we needed an advocate, right? We needed a propitiation to be able to be righteous in the sight of God, right? Now, I hope the message that Pastor has preached to us many times hasn't fallen on deaf ears when he says that there isn't any euangelion or good news, meaning the gospel, if there isn't any bad news, right? And when we look at it, you know, in Romans 3.23 it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? So when when you're talking about giving the gospel and the good news, that first bad news says... There is no one that hasn't, you know, that is worthy of the glory of God, 
or worthy to be in God's presence. Righteous, right? Because we have all sinned. We're all fallen. We all fall short of the mark, right? And there is no work that we as fallen men can do to fix that. But thanks be to God that what God requires, God gives to us. Again, you know, we, we look at the covenants, right? We, we, we think about the covenant that God made with Abraham. God not only gave the covenant, he fulfilled the covenant, right? So when we look at it, we have a God that gives us what we need in order to accomplish what he wants, okay? So there's never a time that we can say that God will give us something that we cannot do, right? Um, if it's his will. Let's put it that way. If it's his will. If it's his will, God will give you the tools to be able to accomplish what he's setting you out to do in the first place. Because, going back to Romans 8, because in verse 1 it says, Therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. These words, such as condemnation and justification, are judicial words. Meaning these are words that are usually used in the court system. Condemnation is the opposite of justification, right? Condemnation means to judge someone as definitely guilty and thus subject to punishment. To condemn, to render a verdict of guilt, condemnation, okay? So before God, you know, obviously interceded on our behalf, we were guilty, right? We stood condemned. We're guilty of death, right? Um, no matter, you know, we, we can go back to the verses that David said, you know, talking about, I was born in iniquity, right? Um, and it talks about, you know, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. And we go back and we think about, um, how could that even be possible? Neither one of those children did anything. But it's in God's sovereignty that all things are done, right? So, as we look at it, there is no coming from Romans 3.23 without God stepping in, right? Um, and if you would be so, so kind, I would, uh, you know, if you could open up uh, John 8, and we're going to read verses 3 to 11. John, would you, uh, John Oach, would you like to read that, sir? John 8, verses 3 to 11. Yes. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And they continued to ask him. As they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be a first throw a stone And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. All right, so here we see that that woman was condemned to die by the law, and there would have been no saving her unless Jesus had stepped in. Right? So we know that in our lives, that because we could not keep the law, we are condemned to die in the sense that apart from Christ, no man could uphold the laws of righteousness. Okay? Now, again, Dr. Lawson 
spoke of justification by using an example of a marketplace. And in the marketplace, um, if you would go there, you would ask for a grain of rice. And they would bring out a scale with two plates. And on one side, they would put the rice. And on the other side, they would have a rock weighing whatever a grain would be. And the scale balanced. That means it was, it was just, it was right. Right? In the gospel, there is a measurement that we cannot get to because we can never meet the righteous requirement of God. So what God requires, God gives to us. And that came through grace, unmerited favor. Right? So what we needed, God ultimately gave to us because I remember John Oach taught a, a lesson um, a long time ago talking about uh, a mark, a standard. And Jesus is all the way up here and we're all the way down here. And there's nothing, you know, God's holy standard, there's nowhere on our own that we could ever reach that mark. But Jesus is the one that brings us up to be able to reach that mark. Right? So in this case, in order to truly measure out what the righteousness is, Jesus was that weight that made the scales, you know, balance out, right? In 1 Corinthians 15, 21 to 22, it said, For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, right? Um, when, we, when we think about that, you know, pastor said it, Micah said it, several people have, have spoken about it, how Adam being the first man was the federal head of all creation, of all men, right? And in Adam all fell because Adam sinned, so all man was, uh, was plagued with corruption, right? But through Christ, who is considered the second Adam, who is our federal head in this instance, has made us alive because he's a life-giving spirit, right? He's taken that man of death, that flesh, that corruption, and made it new in him, okay? Um, and, you know, there's certain things in the gospel that we, you know, we can always say that, you know, some things do not make any sense. Just know that Christ gives us life in him and in him alone. There is no other way to God but through Christ, right? So when we look at verse 1 where it says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Remember how important it is to say in Christ, right? Um, I like that some translations add, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, right? So when we talk about it, it's talking about an actual walk, an actual way that you are living your life. It's not enough to say, I believe, but the evidence of your belief is carried out by how you carry yourself, right? Um, and there's, there's some of us, I know myself, that at times we claim you know, to profess the faith, but our actions are contrary to what we say we believe. Um, and I pray that you would feel a conviction to know that during those times you have to repent and turn back to God knowing that you are his child and you are an example to the world of Christ living in you, right? So, it's about who walks not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is where the sanctification comes in, because when we walk according to the flesh, obviously we're living the way that we've always lived. We're thinking about ourselves, we're thinking about worrying about money, we're worrying about other things, but if we walk according to the Spirit... We're thinking on the heavenly things, the godly things, the things that, you know, God has placed in our lives. Now, 
again, like last night that we said in the young adults, there's nothing wrong with planning for your future, making investments, doing these things. But if God's not the first thought of anything that you do, there's something wrong in your life, right? God should always be number one in your planning. It should never be, you know, um, well, I've got these things I need to do, my mortgage needs to get paid, this and all that. We know that if you have a mind that's heavenly focused and set on God, all things fall into place, right? Um, and for some people, it's, it's hard because we're not used to relying on anyone. We think about we're going to all do it ourselves, this and that, but... As a child of God, you need to rely on God giving you the Holy Spirit and where God wants to take you, where he wants to lead you. And that requires me to have faith even when things don't look right, when things are tough, when there is... I haven't felt any condemnation, well, not even condemnation, but any type of threat physically. But that means anytime the world looks at me and because I claim to be a Christian, you know, pushes me away... That means that I'm at peace because I know that I'm in right standing with God and where I should be. And that only becomes because I am in Christ and I am not walking according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So, again, when we look at it, this is where our faith requires action because as we have justification through faith alone, we rely on the working of God in us through His Holy Spirit to walk according to the Spirit and not gratify the flesh. And that justification is based on the work and person of Jesus Christ. So through true saving faith, I have no condemnation because I am in Christ Jesus. Right? Now, Romans 8 says, for the, Romans 8, 2 says, I'm sorry, for the law of the Spirit in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, This law of the spirit of life in Christ is the law of faith, the message of the gospel. Yes, the law, or what we would call the Ten Commandments, was given by God. But because of the weakness of man, it can only produce sin and death. That's why we need the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Right? Again, we look at no man apart from the righteousness of God could ever have righteousness by following the Ten Commandments, right? If we look at people such as Paul, Paul would have probably been the man who, even in his fallible state, was able to keep the Ten Commandments better than any other man, and yet he still spoke about the fact that he wrestled in the flesh many times, right? He said, things that I do not want to do, I do, because even though we are um, living in the Spirit of God, we still wrestle with our fleshly desires at times, right? So that's why it talks about, um, you know, uh, transforming your mind because that's your logical response. You cannot be a Christian and live with that same mindset that you did before you were saved because those things do not go together, right? So it, it, it talks about, in the sanctification, conforming yourself to the image of Christ, conforming yourself to the perfect blueprint that we have to be able to live. Um, That's why Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. He doesn't say, follow me, you know, as if anything comes from him. He's saying, because I follow Christ, you can imitate me, right? Because I'm following the way that I'm supposed to follow. 
Um, and back in Romans 8, and 3 to 4, it says, for, the, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now we hear this term, uh, propitiation. This is what propitiation means, right? Um, and if you guys have any comments or questions, just feel free to stop me anytime you want. Um, so, man in our fallenness, again, I'm going to keep hitting this home because you know we have to remember that man in our fallenness could not fulfill God's law because apart from Christ, there is no good in me. No amount of sacrifice and good intentions could replace the work that Christ had to do in order to make us right with God. I will say that again. Man in our fallenness could not fulfill God's law because apart from Christ, there is no good in me. No amount of sacrifices and good intentions could replace the work that Christ had to do in order to make us right with God. Right? Um, again, I sit here a man humbled to realize that, you know, in my own strength, there's nothing that I can do apart from God. The only thing that I can do is cause myself more peril if I try to live on my own and walk apart from God. So that's why it talks about, you know, um, putting on Christ every day. Putting on Christ every day. Just as you wake up and put on new clothes, you're taking off the old, which would be the flesh, and you're putting on Christ because you're preparing yourself for what the day holds. Um, we look at what VBS spoke about was putting on the armor of Christ, right? the armor of God, and how important it is when you are in this world to put on that armor because there are flaming darts that are being thrown to you, not just from the devil himself, but those who are under condemnation, right? And obviously it all comes from being apart from God. But as we know, we need to be firmly grounded in the word of God, right? We have the ability to know the mind of God because we have the spirit of God. And God speaks through us through his word. So we are without excuse when we say that there's something that we cannot seem to deal with, right? Yes, there are times when we need to pray for a little more strength, but it also requires us to have faith that God gives us that strength to be able to overcome those things. Mike, you were going to say something? Oh, okay. All right, so, even if, I, even if I look at the condensed version of the moral law, which is to love God and to love one's neighbor as oneself, I still had no ability to do that on my own, right? Because no matter how good I feel or how much I may love my neighbor, do I truly love God the way he deserves? No. Because... Um, I do not know perfect love unless God has given me the ability to have that perfect love, right? So this is why I need the Holy Spirit in me to help me to conform more and more to the image of Christ on a moment-by-moment basis because though one moment I can do what seems good, I surely will fail on my own. All right? Um, Jake, would you like to read Romans... Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know you had it open. All right. Can you read Romans... 5 to 8. 8, 5 to 8. 8, 5 to 8. Yes, sir. 
For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I like that carnal minded. You know, all of our said flesh, yours brings it to a great word, carnally minded, right? In the Greek, to set their minds, because I was trying to look up what to set their minds mean, and I'm not even going to try to tell you what the word is, or try to, you know, Pastor and Mike and all them are much braver than me. I don't want to kill the Greek language. Um, in the Greek, to set their minds means to keep on giving serious considerations to something, to ponder, to let one's mind dwell on, to keep thinking about, to fix one's attention on. So when we're talking about, it's talking about setting your mind, fixing your mind on the flesh, there's no way that you can ever please God because you are living according to the flesh if you're setting your minds on the flesh, right? For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace, right? Because we have that heavenly mindedness. We have that understanding that we realize that in our old man, we were hostile to God. We didn't know the truth. We thought we did, but we did not know the truth. So that's why for those who have their minds set on God, set on the Spirit, can please God, right? Because without, without setting your mind on Him, there is no way to please God. And in Colossians 3, 2 um, to 3, it says, Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Right? Um, so when we look at, you know, when we think about all the blessings that God has bestowed upon us, it's because we are in Christ, right? Because he wants to have, he wants to obviously bless his son. And because we're in Christ, we receive the blessings that are to be bestowed upon his son. Right? But that's for those who are in Christ. Right? Mm-hmm. Which we know that that means that we need to be walking according to the Spirit. Okay? So, I was reading in a commentary by Leon Morris. And he wrote in the Epistle to the Romans, which uh, comes from the the Pillar uh, New Testament commentary. He says, the opposite of the mind that is death is the mind of the Spirit. Which Paul says is life and peace. Once again, the thought is of thoroughgoing concentration. Um, when the things of God dominate one's outlook, when one is constantly responsive to the direction of the Spirit, then there is life. This is the opposite of death that concentration on the flesh, flesh means. Just as the flesh brings death, so the Spirit brings life. But Paul does not leave the antithesis there. The believer has peace as well as life. Paul spoke earlier of peace with God in in, uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. But there is general agreement that this is not what he has in mind here. It will be the basis of the peace he now deals with. For without peace with God, there could not be the life and peace which the Spirit brings. This peace will mean the enjoyment of all that reconciliation with God means. A peace that uh, pervades the whole of life and cannot be dispelled by the conflicts 
life brings. We are reminded of the way Paul so constantly links peace with grace in his salutations. Right? You cannot have peace if God has not shown you grace. When we look at it, that unmerited favor. If God has not given me unmerited favor, there is no peace in my life because I know that I am under condemnation. But as a Christian, we can go back to that first verse, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Right? Because we know that there is no out-sinning God's grace. Right? That doesn't mean, you know, as Paul says, you know, by no means, that doesn't mean that I can continue to live in the flesh and rest on God's graces, thinking that, you know, he's going to continue to forgive me. Um, It means that no matter what we do, you know, this is, this is what we call, you know, preservation of the saints. You know, God will keep us to the end, right? Those that are in his hand, no one can snatch us out of God's hand, right? But, again, we need to look at our lives and see, are we in Christ? Are we walking according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh? Um, even though we may be God's elect and we may be chosen... We may be, you know, um, we may be, you know, set apart. We need to act like set apart ones. We need to be able to be in the spirit, constantly reading our Bibles and praying that God would give us the strength to conform more and more to the image of him. Because like I said, there's a difference between me reading my Bible, praying, and then going out into the world and putting that into action. I need to pray that God will prepare me for whatever the day has that whatever he may face, that I will face it according to the spirit and not according to the flesh. Pastor has a way of always bringing some form of traffic into it. Um, And for many of us who drive to work, traffic is a big aggravator of many people. Um, No matter how you start out, could be the best song on the radio, you could have all smiles. The minute somebody cuts you off and there's a traffic jam, you know, your, your, uh, your face that you had a smile turns into a frown and you're, you know, you start to get grumpy and you start grumbling. Um, And not to say that, you know, that song should be the way you start your day off and be happy, but the fact that you are a child of God and he's blessing you, you know, should be the way that you look at things. Now, I don't know if I've ever been very thankful that there's an open lane on the highway or there's a green light when I stop, you know, like Pastor speaks about. But I could be thankful that I woke up, I have breath in my lungs, I'm in a fresh bed in a house, I have a job that I'm going to, I have a vehicle to get into, you know, I have enough gas in the tank to be able to get to that job, and so on and so forth. So we need to count our many blessings one by one, you know, to be able to have that true understanding God has blessed us abundantly. And we need to take that focus every day like that. Sir, were you going to say something? Okay, I'm glad you do. (laughs) Because when John Oates doesn't agree, that means there's something wrong. (laughs) All right. Um, So, John, would you like to read Romans 8, 9 to 10? Yes. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit in Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, Though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Amen. 
So again, this may be semantics to some, but I looked up what in the flesh meant in the Greek. It is the psychological... uh, Sorry. The psychological... I knew that was going to happen before. The psychological aspect of human nature which contrasts with the spiritual nature. In other words, that aspect of human nature which is characterized by or reflects typical human reasoning and desires in contrast with those aspects of human thought and behavior which relate to God and the spiritual life. Human nature, human aspects, natural, human, right? The natural man stands in sin, right? Um, So when we look up at what it means to be in the flesh, that means pretty much to be living in life and death, right? Again, looking back to verse 8, that those in the flesh cannot please God because I cannot please God without relying on the mind of God that I have through the spirit of God. And I, gotta, I have to keep going back to we are to be in Christ through the working of the Holy Spirit. right? Because day by day, it's talking about conforming more and more to the image of Christ. And I'm going to finish on 11 because this is, I feel like this is a good point to, to stop for next week. Mike, would you like to read 11? Sure. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Amen. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. So there we talk about that resurrection power, right? Um, I remember hearing that the first time, and I thought it was some... Some weird, you know, uh, uh, concept that people were talking about that was that it was false, and you know, when they talked about living in that resurrection power, I was like, all right, man, I'm not bringing anybody up from the dead or whatever, or anything. But it's talking about the same power that was able to bring us from that dead man to that newness of life in Christ is the same power that lives in us, right? And we need to walk in that same power, right? MacArthur states. The brain and its thinking processes are part of the body and thus tempts our souls with its sinful lusts. So our mind wants to live in that hostile state. So that means we need to conform and transform our minds to start thinking in a different way than we are programmed to think by the daily living that we have. So a daily living that we've seen up to this point. So Romans thirteen fourteen says... But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Right? So that means that my mind has to be thinking on things above and beyond you know, what I'm looking at here. Right? The things that I want in my flesh are usually not good for me. Right? That's why I need, you know, when it talks about, you know, uh, praying for that my desires, you know, forgetting my desires, only because I'm praying that my desires would be what God wants for me, right? You know, my desire is to serve the Lord, right? So when it sucks about those desires, I want my desires to be a heavenly-based desire, right? And in Romans 7, 5 to 6, it says, For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit of death for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Amen to that. Because again, 
the law was only a pointer to show that we needed much more. We could not do it on our own. We needed a Savior. And thanks be to God that what God requires, God gives. And he gave us Christ. Amen. Um, So we will stop right there. We have a little bit of time if you guys want to discuss anything or whatever. If not, we will pick up next week where we left off. Right? I'm not going to be able to do the whole of Romans 8 because that's not a two-weeker thing. I would not be doing it justice if I tried to throw everything in two weeks. Um, I feel like I didn't even do the first 11 verses justice. But, you know, thanks be to God that, you know, he's given me this opportunity to begin with. Pastor Len, would you want to pray? Sure. That's great. Thank you, Lord God, for your servant, Lord God. We pray that your spirit would do what it means to Lord God, and that's an understanding to your truth, Lord God. So as we are reminded, Lord God, that basically where what you require of us, as Sean said, Lord God, you, you equip us. You've given us everything for life and godliness, Lord God. We not pull back from that. We do not fret anything, but stand in that confidence, Lord God, that whatever stands before us, Lord God, who knew before we did. Thank you all for today. We pray for the service to come as uh, your servant, Pastor, Lord God, brings your truth, continue to prepare our minds and hearts to receive it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.